This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. All right, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Patrick Antonetti. This week, it is a regular on this podcast. It is John Orand of the Sports Business Daily. He is their media writer. He is a writer for the Sports Business Journal. And he also has a great newsletter that he does with Michael Smith that uh, if you're a Sports Business Daily reader, uh, make sure you sign up for. Uh, It's really good. Uh, John, not only does he get really interesting uh, stories and reporting in there, he lets you know just how powerful he is when it comes to interacting with the movers and shakers of the sports media landscape. And John Oran joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. John, how are you? I'm a man about town, Richard. Yeah, John, I'm I'm a little under the weather here, so I'm not going to be as quick as you today. You have a big advantage in terms of sharpness and uh, and uh, you know quality of your volleys and responses. So it's a big. It's we're counting on you to carry this podcast. Is really what I'm saying. <laughs> uh oh, that's that, that's trouble. That's trouble right there. All right, so let's start off, John, with the NFL viewership. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stories you could always sort of lead with, but to me. I think that's the most interesting one on my mind right now because the NFL in week one, they had a great week, John. Um, the, the the viewership numbers are finally in, and Monday Night Football in particular was way up year over year in terms of viewers and obviously overnights. Fox's game, uh, Giants-Cowboys game, and that window was up, even though I think the game, the concurrent game the year before, was a better game. Uh, most of the pregame shows... We're up. The third, the first game of the season, the 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 Sunday Night Football Thursday game was up. So you know, the interesting thing to me is that viewership was up, even though there were some blowouts in you know key games. Steelers Patriots was a dud. Giants Cowboys was not very good. The Browns were a mess against the Titans. So how do you uh, very open ended? How do you view it? What do you what do you view off Week One viewership? Well, it's funny, you know, I, sometimes we, we get grief for uh, spending too much time talking about TV ratings, but I can tell you, we had a, a sports business journal a couple of, about a month before kickoff, we had a big round table where you had network executives, we had uh, sponsors, we had league executives, team executives, and we asked about the biggest storylines that they were looking for going into this season. And, and every single person mentioned TV ratings that the, the, the league is uh, is fixated and focused on ratings. They don't want to see ratings go down. And so it's a, it, it's a very, in terms of sports business and in terms of what I cover, TV ratings is a, is a really big uh, issue for them. And I got to say, coming out of week one, I, there, there are better case scenarios, but if you're the NFL and, and, and you're looking at, at these games, that were not competitive by and large, especially in some of the, the, the bigger windows, and they still saw substantial gains, they, they have to be, uh, not have to be, I happen to know that they are like thrilled by it. And, and they just think that this is something that is going to uh, build throughout the season. 
always hard on week one to, to take a look at it. But but uh, if, if week one is any indication, like, you know, it's going to be a pretty good season for the NFL. All right, John. So let's get into the whys. Um, my thesis doesn't mean I'm right or wrong as to why this exists. And I think Mike Mulvihill, one of your buddies at Fox Sports, I think agrees with me here. And a lot of this has to do, John, in my opinion, with offense and quarterbacks. The league is marketed by quarterbacks. It's always been marketed by quarterbacks, you know, Brady versus Breeze and Manning versus Brady. And, you know, now it's Mahomes versus uh, Wentz. You can market quarterbacks nationally because you don't necessarily have to be in that particular city to be a fan of that quarterback or interested in that quarterback. So they have a very, I think, really good group of quarterbacks, particularly young quarterbacks. Two, uh, the rules have been set up to produce more offense, and the offensive numbers in the league go up. And again, offense really, I think, sells um, you know, sells the sport more than defense. Last year in particular, there were some great games, very, very competitive games, and I think obviously um, that helped. I think you know, you continue to sort of just go deeper into the factors. The, the home experience continues to be that much greater in terms of watching the game. It's great to watch on TV. I would think sports gambling has a little bit of a factor. I don't know if that's you necessarily draw the line from sports gambling, lead more legalization to added viewership, but I think maybe that will come. And it does feel like, and again, this is pure anecdotal, that more people are into fantasy football this year than maybe in the last couple of years. I could be wrong about that. Um, that's my thought, at least very early. And again, it's only week one as to why um, why viewership was up. And then lastly, John, and again, I should just mention this, the college football numbers are way up. So it does seem like Americans... For whatever reason, this September, there was kind of a thirst for football because it's not just the NFL that's up, but college is way up, too. You know, and we keep talking about ratings being up. It's important sometimes to take a step back and say ratings for television in general are are, are falling uh, like a stone. And and so th- this is really unusual. You know, there's a cliche in TV now, flat is the new up. Well, well uh, NFL ratings and, like you said, college ratings – are actually going up, so it's it's especially um, impressive in terms of that. I mean, you you hit on on most of the things. I think that uh, you know every year I ask John McManus over at uh, CBS. I think you appreciate that name drop right there, Richard. But uh, yeah, we that's um, nice. Yeah, I, I try to I try to put those in pretty uh, obliquely. Uh, anyway, I ask him about like why what what he's looking for, and he always talks about storylines. And I think that if, if going into this NFL season. There, there are a lot of storylines that are um, uh, th- that are going beyond, um, you know, hardcore football fans. I think, you know, what's happened in Cleveland. They have to start winning, but uh, but uh, you know, all of the excitement and everything around Cleveland has really uh, captured some casual fans or even some non-fans. I think you know, having having the Patriots in this in this sort of dominant team is uh, is something that always. Uh, uh, increases ratings uh you know uh, true fans might not like it they might like a little bit more parody but when you have a, a you know a team of a decade or with the patriots team of two decades you know uh, still on top and, and and beating people in prime time by by you know several touchdowns you know people tune into that so that th- there are a lot of storylines that are out there you said the, the quarterback play a lot of the storylines revolve around uh the quarterback play as well um and one thing that I'm hearing a lot more, and I think it's because Fox is in the gambling game, but you're going to hear a lot from Fox. And, uh, they think that gambling is really increasing ratings in those markets where gambling has been legalized. And so they, they take a look at, 
New Jersey and in um, in Pennsylvania to sort of you know big East Coast uh, uh, states, high population centers, and ratings are are up even more so in those states than otherwise. So they think that as, as legalized gambling gets ro- uh, um, rolled out a little bit more, it doesn't necessarily mean that more people are going to be watching it, but it means that the people that are watching it and are gambling are going to be tuned in for longer. And so it's a like, like Al Michaels at the end of a Sunday night football game talking about like who's still watching a blowout. You know, those are the people and that's, that's what advertisers and the NFL and the networks really want. John, um, what kind of importance do you place on certain teams this year having good years? Um, the Browns have, uh, they're still, they have national, they have multiple national windows left. I don't know if it's four or five. It strikes me that the league needs the Steelers to be pretty good given national windows. I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, usually the New York teams sort of have national windows even when the New York teams are not great. And then for sure they need the Bears to do well given that it's the, you know, it's a top five market and, um, you know, you're just dealing with sort of a sheer number of people who could watch out of Chicago. But uh, off the top of your head, obviously to me, I feel like Browns, Steelers, Bears, very, very key teams for the NFL this year. I, the Cowboys, I think, will be good. The Eagles will be good. So they're going to have some, you know, big television teams that are going to be good. But so often I feel like you can really have a good year in aggregate or overall if some of these sort of big market or teams that have national windows have good years. Yeah, there are teams like you mentioned, the Cowboys, the Packers, and now the the, the Patriots, and, uh, and and I think you mentioned Philadelphia as well. They're all one and zero. They all look good. Well, the Packers not necessarily, but they all they're, they're all one and zero, and, and uh, there's some optimism, and that always helps. But if you talk to TV executives, they point to Chicago and the Bears, and they think that the uh, increase that in ratings that they saw last season was a factor of the bears actually playing well for the first time in, in, in several years. Um, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, you know, they, they've been, they've been pretty good for a pretty long time. Um, and so like they, they didn't look good on Sunday night. So there's a little bit of angst there because they, 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 the Steelers are a national um, brand and the Steelers being good will help uh, TV ratings. I'm not sure if the Browns, fall into that the, the browns uh, there's a lot of interest around the browns and i know that they have a a, a bunch of uh, i think it's four primetime games uh coming up in the rest of the season but you know, every every season there's like a, a team that comes in with a lot of hype and i think they hope they do well because th- there's a lot of hype there are a lot of characters there's a, a lot of storylines around that team but if they don't cleveland isn't a uh, a market that the tv networks necessarily depend on yeah, the, the the I mean the you know um, they sent Romo and Nance, CBS did. Yeah, to well, I, I, I was actually opener. surprised by that decision, weren't you? No, I wasn't actually because I think that the Browns are uh, for far and away the winners of the preseason in terms of interest, in terms of hype. They have a lot of great offensive skill players, and I've always thought that. And again, pure anecdotally, but I think there's a lot more Browns fans in the country than I think your average NFL fan realizes. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were such a great team, John, in like the 50s and 60s. And I do think some of that fandom, you know, carried over generationally where people then moved out of Cleveland and probably stuck with them. They have been so bad for so long that maybe some fans sort of moved on to different teams. But it doesn't surprise me because I feel like if they're good, they're going to be a significant team of interest just given, you know, Mayfield and Landry and Chubb and, 
and OBJ. So it doesn't. It did not surprise me that Nance and um, that Nance and Romo started there. What did surprise me was the quality of the game. I actually watched that game. I wrote about that for my athletic column, and it was it was a great uh, first I mean, series for the Browns. Yeah, exactly. The first series was unbelievable, and then after that, uh, you know, on, t- on top of that, my wife is from Cleveland, so I've been I've been uh, going to Cleveland uh, a couple times a year for the past you know uh, thirty years or so, and uh, it's a it's a sports market, and and when those teams do well, that that city back uh, you you could see it today uh, this year in the um, baseball All Star game, that city it's a it's a big Midwestern city. You see the same thing in St. Louis. I think you see the same would see the same thing in Detroit even if. Uh, if the, those teams start to get good, they back these teams and support them. So, so uh, you said generational. That's exactly what it feels like. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, John, let's talk about college football. This, this, is, this is my chance to talk about Maryland, right? 2-0? Yes. There's no reporter in the sports media space that Fox likes more than John O'Rand. I think that's we've established that, <laughs> uh, given your newsletter. And Open so, for business, fo- guys. Open for business. No kidding. Man, talk about the, uh, you don't need to go to Starbucks to get lattes at the O-Ran Mansion. <laughs> All right, so the um, so here's the thing, and I, I give Fox a lot of credit for this. I, I mean, how I don't know if they've monetized it. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. But their early kickoff strategy has worked so far. The, the, no, the, and what that early kickoff strategy is, is that Fox made a decision to essentially put their best game, or at least one of their best games, in the noon Eastern time window, assign Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, Jenny Taft, their first team, those games, and then try to, yeah, let's face it, sort of swipe some audience from ESPN and ABC during the day in that window. They have had Ohio State and Michigan over the first two weeks. Those are great television teams, uh, maybe the two best with Alabama in the country in terms of sort of a national brand. And they've, John, they've, they've destroyed the year-over-year numbers from the year before. I mean, like, you know, crazy, 50%, 70-something percent. Very helped help for sure by a great Michigan, I shouldn't say a great Michigan Army game, but a close Michigan Army game that people were paying attention to. So, John, it strikes me that at least one of the stories, at least early in the year, is that Fox's early, early sort of kickoff schedule has... Uh, has worked. I do want to get to big noon kickoff because I, I probably think of that show a little differently than others. But let's just take college football to start. One, Fox at the Eastern time seems like they're doing great. And then secondly, ESPN ABC's numbers. And I know they front-loaded their schedule, but they've been great so far. I mean, that, that LSU-Texas number was unbelievable for a September game. Yeah, I, I think the uh, Fox's uh, strategy is uh, that they want to win the, the noon window sort of bigger than anybody else wins any other window. Um, and, and so they're not going to get as many viewers generally at noon as you would in prime time, I would think. But they they felt that there are so many um, – there, there's so, so much more competition in prime time. There's more competition in late afternoon. I mean, that's generally the, the CBS SEC uh, package. That's a, always the highest rated uh, on television in there. But generally, noon was sort of like, you know, you had um, college game day on ESPN leading into 
uh, a blah game, you know, uh, just games that, that, that didn't carry any, uh, any sauce with it, so to speak. Um, and so they wanted to, to really front load and, and just take over that window. And that would be, that would be their big window. Um, I think that it was a pretty safe bet to make, to, to be honest, because uh, if you take a look at last year, they had a lot of really good games in that noon window. And if you take a look at some of the contracts that they have with these college conferences, like Michigan, Ohio State, that's going to kick off at, at noon all the time. So they can't move that, the, the, their biggest game to prime time no matter what. Uh, right. uh, the, Big Ten, the Big Ten really wants a lot of their marquee games to kick off at, at noon. That's you know part of what they do. Um, so with Fox, they sort of saw that and were like, well, let, let's, let's then market the, the noon for being our, our biggest one. And then let's just do it every week. We'll, we'll take the best game and put it there. Cause we, we, they ended up having, I think last year, if you look, they probably had the best game at noon, maybe two or three times already. So it, it wasn't that much of a stretch to just say, we're going to do it a little bit more, but it certainly does seem to be working. Before history is written. It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. John, um, how much have you watched uh, the Fox new college football pregame show that is competing against college game day. Have you watched big noon kickoff with, uh, you know, Rob Stone, urban Meyer, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Brady Quinn. Uh, th- this is where I should lie and say that yeah, I've sat down and, and watched everything, but I, I, I actually haven't sat down to watch it yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it at some point, probably this weekend, but I, I haven't, I haven't actually watched it. I have, I have read a lot of uh, reviews on it, but I, I haven't actually sat down and watched Okay, well, we will we will return to that at a different date because well, I'm you, interested. But you have, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Richard? I have, um, and well, let's let's do twofold. One, let's take the sort of the viewership of it. Um, I think Fox has sort of realistic expectations that they're never going to be College Game Day, but I do think ne- they want never being this year or next year. But who who knows? John, take the Terry Hines tell, glasses uh, off. Tell, they're not beating College that, Game Day that, ever. Uh, the big noon kickoff ratings before Michigan, Ohio State will get eerily close to uh, to college game day. They'll be very Maybe. close. Maybe like I'm talking. I'm talking about. I'm talking about for the entire year. I mean, okay, yeah, of course you're. Of course you're right for the entire season. Yeah, I mean, John, no, we could try. Me and you, we're not going to be Brad Pitt. I mean, I'm sorry. Like you can come close, <laughs> you can get great plastic surgery, but that's not happening. Um, but yes, I agree with you on that particular week. I think they will come as close as they come. So what I was going to say, well, it wasn't necessarily a knock on Fox. It's that I think both from the, the, the initial two first two weeks of viewership, I think both have to be happy. I mean, College Game Day has beaten them essentially uh, like in terms of overnight. I think it was like a 1-7 to an 0-7 or a 1-6 to an 0-6. I, I apologize if I'm off on this. But, you know, I mean, a significant win. But if you're Fox, this is all gravy to me because you didn't have any kind of pregame presence last year. So you're gaining new audience. That's the way I look at it. You know, people are sampling your product at a at 11 a.m. And if you're college game day, you got to be psyched. You know, you I think you were up in your ratings like the last couple of weeks, and and you're still you know you're still clearly the most popular 
uh, pregame show. The question about content, that's one uh, I would like to talk to you about because I'd like you to see it and get a sense. I think if in, in situations where Urban Meyer is used as kind of an X's and O's expert or sort of explaining to you the intricacies of the game, I, I think, listen, there are very few college football coaches who have his resume and have his intelligence. And I think that's been really, really interesting. I think Brady Quinn is a pretty smart guy, and I appreciate his insights there. My problem, John, uh, with that show is I, I don't believe Urban Meyer just as a um, as a broadcaster. I cannot take what is coming out of his mouth outside of X's and O's with any kind of transparency. So I'm colored, in my view, by that for that whole show. Outside of that, I think the show is fine. Uh, I don't think it's revolutionary. It's certainly acceptable to watch, or it'll give you, at least when it comes to the Big Ten, a nice little, uh, or at least Fox's game, sort of a nice little setup of what's coming up at that game. Uh, It's very different than college game day. They're in the studio. They have no kind of atmosphere. So that's a big difference. But I I think it's a, you know, I'm I'm not trying to be mundane here. I think it's a perfectly acceptable, perfectly average pregame show with the potential to get better. And if you're Fox, I think you got to be psyched about that. It's not a bomb by any means. I'm not sure it's a mega hit at this point, but you know, I think they have something to work with, but I'm not going to be the viewer here because I, I having covered Urban Meyer at ESPN and written about what went down there. I, I just, I'd be honest with you, I just don't believe the guy. So it's hard for me to watch that show and take him as an honest broker when it comes to college football. That That's about as honest as I can be with that. Do you, do you feel that there's a breakout star among, among those four that, 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 that are on the, uh, the set? Yeah, Meyer is going to be the breakout star because the show revolves around him in the same way the Fox baseball show revolves around A-Rod, you know, in the same way they tried to really highlight Pete Rose. I mean, it's very clear the producers are making that sort of Urban Meyer show. And then if you're talking about outside of that, who has a chance to break out? I actually thought Leinart was very, very good in the the weeks that I've seen. Um, I would think, though, that it seems like they're going to really push Brady Quinn on that in addition to urban, but urban's the star of the show that the show is that they believe that they have a, um, an, a, I can't believe I'm saying this, but an a rod like figure in, in urban Meyer when it comes to college football. And so I, I don't even think if I was a producer, that's not the, that's not the worst strategy because like he's the most famous guy on the set. So you should really build it around him. What I find interesting is that you have, you know, an urban Meyer, Brady Quinn, Reggie Bush, you, you have uh, people that are, you know, have played college football recently. Uh, and I think that's something that, that Fox is really going to start to push a, a, a little bit, as opposed to, you know, I love Lee Corso and I love it when he when he puts on, uh, the, the, you know, the mascot head. I, I mean, that's must see TV at the end of a, at the end of game day. But I think that they they will try to compare contra- contrast in that sense as as they start to, to feel their oats and go up against game day a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, no offense, John, but it's not like uh, Brady Quinn, Reggie Bush played yesterday. I mean. Compared to Corso, yeah, but we're still talking Compared to almost Earth fifteen Street, years, maybe, right? right? For those guys. Well, yeah, I mean Corso played with Burt Reynolds. I mean, you know, you're not gonna. <laughs> so, you know, that's a long time ago. So yeah, I hear you on that. And I, but you know, Desmond Howard, Kirk Herbstreit, David Pollock, those guys aren't necessarily right off the uh, the field. This is where they have an advantage with Urban Meyer. I'm feeling a year. battle of the network stars coming up between the uh, the, the, the two uh, college football pregame shows. Oh, be- Fox! Fox would Fox Fox would kill. I, they have, you know, between Reggie and I feel like Brady Quinn. Although David Pollock's an amazing, he's an amazing shape, great athlete. All right. Anyway, uh, as we finish up here, I was 
really, really impressed, John, by ESPN's tennis numbers. You know I'm a big tennis fan. And so um, they had a phenomenal tournament in terms of viewership. Most watched U.S. Open since 2015. Uh, Bianca uh, Andrescu's Serena Williams match, most watched match of the tournament. I think second most watched U.S. Open match in the history of ESPN. I want to say behind, maybe behind like an Agassi Federer or Federer Djokovic or something. But they had phenomenal numbers, John. Um, Again, maybe it's a one-off when it comes to this particular tournament, but... I was I was really impressed because that's you don't often see tennis pop, but for whatever reason, it popped during this tournament. It's exactly what we were talking about with the NFL too. It's a, the same thing takes hold. You had stars, you had Nadal, and you had uh, uh, Serena Williams um, uh, playing well. You had storylines. Uh, God, I'm going to blank on his name. Who, who was the villain on the men's side? Richard Danielle Medvedev. Right, exactly, and 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 so. You know, he started that earlier in the tournament and went straight through and kept winning so that people wanted to, to watch in there. So you had storylines and stars and, you know, it just it, it worked out. That's what brings ratings. It's not a big surprise. Yeah. And again, we'll see if, you know, one of the things Serena will always draw viewership for ESPN. That's not going to change. The question will be, can some of these young stars like Bianca, uh, Coco Goff, et cetera, uh, can they can they sort of maintain an audience as ESPN continues to broadcast tennis so that's um but even more than than just the, the tv audience that that men's final was as loud uh, i think john McEnroe said it he was uh, that's as loud as he's ever heard in a, a tennis tournament uh which uh, w- was an impressive statement i thought john do you have any thoughts on the antonio brown coverage um in any way my I, you know I, I did a lot of this in the the monday media com that i have my sort of one overarching thought when it comes to this is it really is invaluable to have voices, if you're serious about covering this stuff, to have, one, some legal voices on television to discuss the legalities of this, and, you know, whether it's like a Michael McCann type at SI or back in the day, Lester Munson, Roger Cossack at ESPN. And then secondly, and again, this is so biased on my part because she's a longtime friend, but this is one of those weeks where ESPN really misses Jane McManus. Uh, who is somebody who was um, an accomplished reporter on uh, sexual assault uh, in relation to professional sports and could speak in um, the language of this kind of stuff and and offer, I think, some kind of nuance and some kind of reporting when it comes to how this stuff is covered. And, you know, ESPN will always be able to cover the football side of it, but that's where I think... Someone like a Jay McManus is missed. And I will say this, and it's very important to say this. ESPN, historically speaking, is the only one who even cares about that kind of stuff. Fox has never had like a Jay McManus type on its airwaves. CBS, NBC, et cetera, they're just going to cover the pregame stuff. You know, the Antonio Browns playing for the Patriots, not playing for the Patriots, et cetera. But that was my sort of one overarching um, stuff, you know, when it comes to the the complainant that uh, filed against Antonio Brown. The football stuff's always going to be covering, and it's almost like very easy for these pregame shows to do. You know, Fox lit up Antonio Brown. It's pretty easy to do. I'm not saying they're wrong. Mike Greenberg called it whatever, the most unprofessional thing he's ever seen in professional sports. It's a ridiculously nonsense take, but, you know, that's very easy for those kind of shows to do. The harder thing is to do what the Jay McManus types do. Yeah, I, I got to say, just as a consumer of uh, reading it, like I, I, 
when you talk about having a legal voice in there, that, that's sort of what I want to hear. I want to, I want to, and, uh, and you mentioned Jane McManus speaking in, in, in that language. I mean, too many people, I, I'm not going to do a stick to sports or stay in your lane, but too many people just kind of were uh, like popping off at, at nothing. Nobody, no, I mean, there, there were, there was a filing and, and, um, and, and uh, an allegation and then counter allegation. And, you know, I just want to, what, what I wanted to see as a consumer, and I'm not covering this, but I, I wanted to, 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 to see legally what was up. I mean, what, what, what does all this mean? And then somebody that's sort of steeped in um, reporting on sexual assault and, and uh, to, to sort of talk about, you know, what was going on. But I, having, you know, first take or, you know, get up, talk about this is that that, that would uh, demand that I change the channel immediately. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting down to, to watch their opinions on what they don't know about. Yeah. But, it, you know, again, the it's, people will watch at least, you know, the usual 400,000 or whatever those kind of shows will get. And, uh, yeah, again, I can't, again, it's sort of a hometown pick here, but I cannot recommend like somebody like Michael McCann who writes cogently and smartly about all this intersection of sports and, criminality somebody like jessica luther when it comes to sexual assault and professional athletics if you really want to be educated on this stuff that's really who to hit on it's not to say that espn can't do it and you know obviously the the outside the lines types they can pull that off but that's you know at least in my experience i find you you're gonna have to go to the print digital end to really get insight into this as opposed to television all right two last things john one um interesting note by you Michelle Wee will be joining the Golf Channel's coverage of the Solheim Cup. Uh, you'll probably be listening to this. Uh, some of you, uh, Michelle Wee, will have done this already. But that's interesting because I feel like given her star power, John, and given her name recognition, again, I think she's obviously going to golf for uh, a while. She's still pretty young. But that's somebody maybe who becomes a part of a, a golf coverage post-golf career. Uh, you know, she, she's she's got she's got so much marketing sort of uh, potential, just, you know, Manim, walking into the booth, maybe the most famous women's golfer in America, at least by name. You know what I found most interesting about that is that uh, Golf Channel knew about her because they interviewed her and they know how well she uh, she performs on camera. But uh, what um, Golf Channel's Molly Solomon said was it was her social media profile and it was her social media audience that really got them thinking about bringing her on because uh, she's, she's able to communicate with younger people and she just has a following that they that they hope will be able to translate and i'm, I'm here i've been hearing that more and more that isn't a, that isn't a completely new thing but it just does just does cement that you know twitter followers and instagram followers are something that these uh tv producers really take a look at when they make talent decisions john that's a great point and i don't think there's any doubt whether that's good or not is a larger discussion that you know we'd have to have in a sociology forum but there is no doubt that and again i'm not saying he's not talented because i think he's very talented but somebody like pat mcafee john part of the appeal for disown and espn and westwood one and other places is his massive following on social media and so i am with you on that again i think he would have been hired regardless but somebody like ryan rossillo who has immense loyalty and popularity on social media, you bring him into the ringer and it's going to increase your, 
you know, sort of podcast loyalty. I, you know, it's interesting, John. We've been talking about social media and the media uh, and the sports media for a long time, but the last year or so, I'm with you on this. I feel like from executives and other places, I've been hearing like the value of Instagram feeds or Twitter feeds or social media presence far more than I've ever heard before. Uh, which yeah, and, and, is and interesting because like this has been happening yeah. for a while, but there are there seems exactly. to be almost a, a new. Uh, 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 emphasis that's been, that's been put on that, and sure enough, what like when when uh, Molly Solomon was talking about Michelle Wee, the first thing she mentioned wasn't, "Wow, she's really good on camera." It was it was her you know her her engagement on on Twitter, her engagement on actually not Twitter but Instagram, which uh, you know again it wasn't a big surprise, but but it it, it it did confirm some stuff. I actually think, John, my thought there is that in a in a universe of so much uh, fragmentation and just really, uh, you know, everybody competing for audience, I think executives now see that as, you know, it's worth it to pay for somebody's social media following because maybe that gets you some new people under your tent. It's really, really interesting. And even at The Athletic, I mean, I think very, very clearly they have looked at people's social media um you know, feeds and following and engagement to bring in new audience. So it's, it's extended, it's extended everywhere. Um, is there anything else, John, that, uh, you wanted to, Oh, you know what, John, I should, I will say this. We do like one minute on this. You happen to read Joe Drape's story on justify and, uh, the Kentucky Derby. No, I only saw the headlines. Oh, read it. What an awesome bit of reporting basically to, uh, to get the details on justifies positive, um, drug test uh, for a band performance enhancer uh, prior to the Kentucky Derby. I mean, that is an amazing bit of reporting. Um, and, you know, it's not going to nearly get the attention it would if it was like, you know, some gold medalist, uh, uh, you know, sort of finding out about some gold medalist. But a great, just a great piece of journalism or a great piece of reporting. So check uh, check Joe Drape's piece out. Right, John, is there anything you need to promote? I mean, are you going on any other podcasts? Are you doing any television? Yeah, I, I, just one promotion. Uh, I'm not being paid for this, but I, I, you know, if you ever happen to find yourself in Janesville, Wisconsin, Richard, there are three bars there that I, that I went to uh, last, last week, a sports bar, uh, a bar called Bazinga's and a bar called Barclays. Uh, I highly recommend those three. Unbelievable. That John, that strikes me as uh Bars that could be owned by an NBC Sports uh, uh, top communications chief. I mean, that's uh, a guess off the top of my head. Shout out to Greg Hughes. Greg Hughes was celebrating. Uh, Greg Hughes is a top communications uh, uh, executive at NBC Sports, and he was celebrating Barclays' fourth uh, anniversary. I happened to be in Madison for the Wisconsin game, so we invited uh, uh, my brother and me over. Uh, we came, and uh, it, it was a. Uh, we wrote about it in in, in the. Um, in the SBJ media newsletter, but it was a, it, it was, it was a fun time just to hang out in a good, good old small town in, in Wisconsin. You get lattes from ESPN and the ringer and you get drinks from Greg Hughes, John, you're having I'll quite do, a, I'll, uh, I'll do whatever I can get quite a week. John. All right. Uh, John, as always, thank you. John O'Rand is, uh, we got to talk about wrestling. One of these days, John, AEW and, uh, and Fox doing SmackDown. I know that's not your favorite thing, but I'm fascinated by this. John O'Rand is a sports business daily media writer. He also works for the Sports Business Journal. Check out the newsletter that uh, I mentioned to him. He's uh, probably uh, will be doing podcasts as well for Sports Business Daily. And if you are interested in helping John's social media ranking get higher, 
He is Orand underscore SBJ, Orand underscore SBJ on Twitter. John, always always great to catch up with you. And uh, I'm sure we will do this again probably in the next couple of weeks. Hope so. Thanks, RD. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to John O'Rand. Uh, always love catching up with him. Uh, if this is these conversations about the sports media, or if you like listening to interviews, last week was Booger McFarlane. The week before that was Gus Johnson, Bruce Feldman, and Stuart Mandel. Before that, we did some talk on ESPN's uh, NBA coverage and the future of uh, women's sports coverage. So, if you like this kind of stuff, please head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page. That's a, a Cadence Thirteen podcast, and give us a review. Please subscribe. And uh, that's the way the podcast uh, sticks around. Uh, my thanks to Patrick uh, Antonetti, who did a lot of work this week uh, on the back end of this podcast, in addition to producing it. Thanks to John McDermott, Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, everybody at Cadence uh, 13. And again, head to the Apple Podcast page if you want to uh, see the last couple of podcasts that we have done as we head forward. Probably some NFL centric podcast and one uh, special one coming up if you're still listening to this podcast uh garrett graff who wrote an incredible piece on um i wrote an incredible book i should say on uh what happened the day of 9 11 uh, he interviewed i think more than 500 people and put together an incredible uh oral history that uh it's uh, I believe the book is called The Only Plane in the Sky. It's basically an oral history of 9-11 with a real specific on what was going on on Air Force One that day. Totally fascinating book. So he'll be on in the next couple of weeks to talk about that, even though it's a non-sports thing. All right. I will, uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again in the Sports Media Podcast. <laughs>